Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Uh, as you know, I like to bring on guests that um, I think are interesting to start with, and also, though, that maybe would challenge even my own thinking on certain areas. And um, in that continued quest, I reached out to someone that I followed on Instagram for a while um, and um, joined today by Danny Prada. Danny is a spiritual teacher who lives in Fort Lauderdale and provo- uh, posts a lot of thought-provoking, soul-provoking content. And I thought I thought you would be a perfect guest. So welcome, Danny. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Very happy to be here with you. Yes. So just give a little backdrop to who you are and how you got here and what you do. You know, kind of that standard, uh, you know, bio, you know, when you talk to somebody at a party type <laughs> question. Yeah. So six years ago, I started a church that has evolved into more of a spiritual community that is not very religious. And I do that um, full time. I also serve as a chaplain uh, in hospice. So I work with with people who are who are transitioning and I offer spiritual care, emotional support to them. And I've done chaplaincy in other areas as well. I, I was at a homeless shelter for five years. So that's a little bit of my, of my background. Wow. And when did you know that you want, this was kind of your calling to do this kind of work? So I actually grew up in a very uh, conservative evangelical home. That was my upbringing. And so I like to say, I, I, I had enough religion in my life to just feel guilty about everything I did, but, but I didn't really like take it too serious. Yeah. But by the time I got to college, my parents just had planted so many seeds in me that at that time they kind of began to sprout. And I started having an interest in the bigger questions of life, God, meaning, suffering, existence, life and Christianity and church was kind of my entryway into that because it's all I knew. So when I was in college, I got around some other of friends who were into similar things. We connected. Next thing you know, I'm transferring schools. I I used to study sports uh, management. I transferred to a Christian university, started studying uh, theology and philosophy, just finished with my doctorate last year. So I kind of took it all the way. Wow. How old are you? I am 32. 32. Man, you millennials. Get more done in the shortest amount of time than anybody anybody I know. I, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, amazing story. it's been a fun ride. Yeah, and, and people that are you know been listening to my podcast for a while, I'm pretty open about my background. But again, for context to some of these questions we're going to talk through is I grew up in a fundamentalist church, um, non denominational, no name. They're very proud of the fact that there was no name. Wow, um, global organization. Um, if you look for them on Wikipedia, you look for the two by twos. That's kind of the slang term in other countries for these people. And I, I stayed in it for many years. I was actually part of the church until 2016, but really didn't, I really questioned it the entire time, but I, I didn't know what else to do. And, um, anyway, I talk on other episodes about what I did and how I kind of, you know, the, the, the term deconstruct, deconstruct all of that stuff and keep it true. Um, and so, well, that's fascinating about the, the hospice and about just the, you know, the, how, how sometimes it, 
your circumstances sort of define a, it's when your circumstances meet your gifts. Yes. And it kind of defines, you know, it's not so much about the application of will of what I want to do. It's more what I'm called to do, Absolutely. Um, which is how it was for tens of thousands of years before the industrial revolution, where we, we were all instructed when we were all indigenous people to find what we were here to do, as opposed to go find a job. So. And, and honestly, like I, I, I can communicate that it really feels like it chose me. <laughs> right. I totally get that. You know, uh, my mom showed me a couple years ago, a little letter that I think it was like my first or second grade teacher wrote to me after I had graduated from, from that grade level. And the teacher says, I think it's really admirable that you want to be a pastor when you grow up. And so that means that at that time, as a little child, I was already saying that Right. for a host of reasons. Like I said, I grew up in that already. I saw pastors. I have other, you know, ministers in my family, but why, what is a kid doing saying that? And then how is it that 20 years later, I actually stepped into it? I think yeah. it's pretty cool. I think it's very cool. And it seems like when it comes to callings and missions, Either you know really young or you don't know until, you know, I didn't really know what I was here to do until I was 44, 45. And, and that was just the beginning. There's so much more like unraveling to get to this place of where I'm organizing my life around the, the work of my soul to a large extent. And so, you know, we both have, we, you're, you're, you come from that evangelical background. I come from the fundy background and everything. And I know that certainly I'm sure this is true that your beliefs have evolved over the years. And I'm curious about which, which ones have most evolved, which ones have where they're, they're, they're starkly different than maybe when you started down this path. Well, I, I would say that in a way, I feel like I have evolved beyond belief. Okay. Tell me more. If that makes sense for me, beliefs are, like conceptual prisons, they're all limited, they're all relative, they're all subjective. And beliefs can be useful if they're not harmful and if they produce you know, good feelings in you and if they help you navigate the world you're in. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, when we attach identity to our beliefs, we start living out of a false sense of self and we also don't connect with other people anymore at a deep level because our beliefs separate us from them mm. oftentimes our beliefs about people keep us from even seeing who they actually are yeah because we only see who we think they are right and so i am a skeptic at heart and I like to question beliefs and I spend most of my time questioning my own beliefs mm. and the assumptions that those beliefs are based on. Yeah. And where that journey has taken me, when I say beyond belief, it's taken me number one to love, mm -hmm. you know, I, because I, I don't, attach myself to beliefs, I, I'm able to 
um, connect with people at a deeper level, see people for who they are and just not have an agenda with them, not try and convince them of anything, prove myself to anyone. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is I've learned how to really suspend judgment. And what that looks like for me is anytime my mind likes to arrive at, at a definite conclusion about something, I've kind of trained myself to take a few steps back and really assess where that is coming from. And uh, I just try and hold on to nothing. Mm. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, and I love this idea of beyond belief, um, sort of transcendence. Um, and I think that the conclusion of it all is that is that love is the it, love is the is, love is not even really a belief system. But if it were, it would have a set of principles that were all based on being evidentiary. Like, you know, love is a verb. Love is obviously will be known by your fruits. I mean, all the various words about love are all about the fact that it's actualization. It's 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 yeah. real. Um, it's a way of life. It's a way of life, right? And I think it's our intended way of existence. Mm. Like I, I think that when you think of Maslow's hierarchy, and you have your 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 two baselines, which we are most most of us are kind of stuck in the middle, unless you're poor, or you know come from an impoverished country, then you're down at the bottom. And and there's a sort of a privilegy nature of that second tier. Mm -hmm. um, all a lot of it based off of beliefs. Uh, typically, I've seen basically beliefs about science, beliefs about religion and beliefs about government. Mm -hmm. And they're all kind of squishy and self-serving. Um, mm -hmm. So I love this idea that makes me want to like, man, we should do a whole podcast just on what's beyond belief. Yeah. So what do you call the, the knowing then? Because the way that I explain yeah. this, I actually do this in branding, is there's extrinsic beliefs and intrinsic beliefs. So extrinsic beliefs are adopted. Intrinsic mm -hmm. beliefs are, are beliefs, at least the way I define it, are more like knowings, things that you, mm -hmm. things that you know to be true. Yes. So, so yeah. in that realm of what you know to be true, what has shifted yeah. for you? So uh, along the same lines, I, I know I don't know. And that, that for me is as firm of a foundation as I can get to know that I don't know. Mm. In, in Zen, I've been influenced a lot by Zen teachings. They talk about adopting the don't know mind. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Alan Watts talked a lot about that. A mm. mind that doesn't know is a mind that remains open. Yeah. And I can listen to people better. I can understand them better. And I continue to challenge my own assumptions in the process mm -hmm. because I know that I don't know and mm -hmm. I keep myself open. And for me, it, it comes back to the way that I interpret life. Mm -hmm. And we are meaning-making creatures. So we, of course, seek to make meaning out of everything. And that's, yeah. and that's a good thing. The only thing is, uh, until we become aware of ourselves, the meaning that we assign to life and the circumstances that we're in tend to be rooted in 
fear mm-hmm. and, and anxiety about the future and, and our trauma from the past. Yeah. So as I've kind of gone on this journey inward and um, I've, as I've began to notice the way my mind is conditioned to think and interpret life, I've kind of loosened my grip on that. And the way I do it is by asking myself, do I really know that that's true? Like mm-hmm. I, I recently just went through a divorce. It's been mm. five months, six months, a fresh wound. Mm. And it could be very easy throughout this process. I mean, the ego has offered up many things for me to uh, negatively interpret the way that my ex-spouse has gone about the ordeal Mm -hmm. right and so what i do is i question the validity of that yeah and i i ask i I just tell myself i don't really know i don't know this other person's intentions i don't know their motives that keeps me open keeps me being able to accept life for what it is and it keeps me at peace yeah yeah i've been i've been working on this model kind of it's I drew it up and put it on my social Instagram but mostly just because I like the way it looked and I'm still working through how to explain it but that there is sort of this baseline of trauma that if you come from a place of trauma not everybody has thankfully like for example my sons haven't experienced trauma I mean heartache and loss and stuff but not like trauma trauma like violence rejection Mm. and abandonment well, the, if you come from trauma, and a lot of us do, a lot of people do come from all over the world and wherever they're from, they have trauma, especially, especially um, uh, people that are you know economically disadvantaged have all kinds of trauma there. But then what happens is you create these narratives about what happened yes. and they become the story that you live. And, and that's, you know, the, that's the um, Don Miguel, you know, C- C- Carlos Castaneda, you know, the, uh, the illusion, the matrix. Yeah, there's more. There's another level. And I think this is where religion in particular can be so limiting and belief systems is the third level is the trauma avoidance behaviors that you have. Mm. If I can sit in this church or I can stay mm. in this marriage or I can stay in this job, as long as I'm up here, I'm not going to have to feel that trauma. But uh, the way I drew it is this like kind of wavy line, like a wall, like a barbed wire, like fence. And on the other side of it is everything you want, like mm. you really want, like joy and connection and intimacy and, and, and creativity and all that stuff. And the only way to get it is you got to go back down into the trauma and go, this happened. Mm-hmm. I accept it and it got me here. Mm-hmm. Got me here. The narratives don't matter. Mm-hmm. We can stop that. We can stop them. You have to dis- disarm them, dismantle them, and we can stop the trauma uh, avoidance behaviors. And the way you do that is with courage. You turn and you run towards the guns. You, you do what Thomas yes. did with Jesus. You put your hands in the wounds. Yes. And you feel it. Yeah. And then you heal. That's the thing I think where, where, where we get caught up in belief systems, because like you said, we're meaning making machines, but we're also pain avoidance machines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, when those, when those combine, you get, you know, er, extremism and ideology and you get extremism and religious views and extremism is yes. even in, within scientific or atheistic communities, extremism, yes. because they all bought into this pain avoidance narrative. Yes. And for me going into that trauma 
and exploring it with courage and curiosity requires this not knowing that I'm talking about. Because the only way you can reframe the story and the narrative you're telling yourself about your past and your trauma, which is where your healing is going to come from, by the way, learning how to reframe and recontextualize what happened from a, from a greater level of awareness and consciousness. The only way you'll be able to reframe that narrative is if you, if you uh, stop clinging to it so tightly and, and actually revisit whether how you've been seeing it is true. Yeah. And that's something that some of us, we avoid that pain (laughs) and that's very painful, right? you know, because who wants to say that maybe I haven't been seeing it the right way. Maybe it wasn't them who hurt me. Like I thought it was maybe I had something to play in this. Yes. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I think that, I think that, you know, the, the, when Jesus said, I always want to put, by the way, Jesus allegedly said, because we don't actually know, right. um, but let's just say that he did say, you know, the truth will set you free. Yeah. If, I think this is the thing that's being, we're being freed from sort of the prison of the mind, yes. um, the prison of our identity coming from our thoughts and our beliefs about life. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that there's, there's, uh, uh, I, I wrote it this the other day is that I think evangelicals and fundamentalists are going to be shocked to find out that God was the space between all of the known things. Mm. That's who God is that unknown, mm-hmm. unknowable, in mm-hmm. space. not the knowable stuff of the church building or the documents or the teachings. None of that. That's right. not God. That's just humans reframing something largely for their own benefit. Yeah. It's that space between that. I think that, um, is that we're freed f- to experience. So yes. the other day uh, in my notes, I wrote something that I'm looking for. Here's what I wrote. I said, the people who wrote the Bible at one point didn't have it. What if you had to discover God for yourself without help from anyone or anything else? What yeah. would you find? Oh man, dude, that is my story in 2016, walking out of church. The last time I've been in a church um, was I'm going to discover God for myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the, to answer the question. That's what shifted most for me is, is I still identify as a Christian, but sort of you know, with a little bit of a grimace. Right. Uh, I, don't believer or fo- I don't believe it. I want, I don't even like follower of Jesus. Like I'm a, I'm a co-creator with this from the same source. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest shift is, the part of us that doesn't die, the part of us that's priceless, the part of us that um, isn't wounded, you know, that wholeness of being, that is God. Yes. Too. That that's that collective consciousness. And this is why my prayer, like literally every day, is I just want people, sometimes I'm specific about who, but I just want people for 10 seconds to see what God sees and who they are. Mm. And it would free them from so much stuff. Mm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so let's, the second question I, I wanted to uh, have us answer is, what do you think is most uh, misunderstood or maybe misinterpreted about Jesus now? And, you know, 2022 with corporate religion, yeah. and, you know, institutional religion and stuff, what do you think is by, by most people misunderstood or misinterpreted about him? This is, this is a really interesting question. Uh, just to 
take a couple steps back and build on what you said before uh-huh. in terms of like identifying as a Christian or not. It's, yeah. a, it, it's, it's also a wrestling match for me. Um, I went through a phase after I kind of deconstructed my faith uh, where I was angry at Christianity and who taught me the things that they did. And um, it it took some time to heal and I did, and I've learned to really appreciate and value my Christian heritage. And also I've learned how to see the best in those who are locked into uh, paradigms that at one point I also thought were true, but that from my vantage point now seem quite limiting. Nevertheless, it's been harder and harder, even though I appreciate the value of my Christian heritage, to to identify with Christianity and even Jesus because of all of the baggage and all of the assumptions that come with that label and with that name. Yeah. Quite frankly, because it has become very narrow, very exclusivistic, very Mm -hmm. dogmatic. Mm-hmm. And everything about my spiritual path has been more about expansiveness, inclusivity, love, crossing mm-hmm. barriers. Um, so in one way, I feel like I am being more faithful to the way of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus than ever. And, and in another way, and in the eyes of, of many, I would be a heretic. I would be out of bounds. I would be misrepresenting the teaching, yeah. you yeah. know? Um, so all the, things, all the things they've said about Rob Bell. <laughs> right. You yeah. know? And so, oh my God, how was Jesus? Mis- how, how is Jesus being misunderstood? My goodness. We can be here a long time. Number one, Jesus was in my mind, the ultimate pragmatist. And he was not concerned with belief systems. He was not concerned with getting people to align with certain ideologies. He was not concerned with strict adherence to tradition and ritual. Uh, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Yep. So his whole thing was examine your beliefs in light of the effect that they have on your life and the lives of others. And if your belief is getting in the way of love, then you've got to rethink your belief because the fruit is rotten. Mm -hmm. And so I go about examining all beliefs through that lens. Mm -hmm. What is the practical effect of this? If it's harmful, if it produces division, if it produces stress, then maybe the fruit is rotten too. And I got to rethink what that belief is. How else is Jesus misunderstood? His whole thing was love. Mm-hmm. From beginning to end, it was love. Yeah. And uh, somehow that has been turned around into, into something totally different. Right. Where the, the kind of love that Jesus conveyed and, and gave throughout his life is, is rare to find in people who claim his name. Yeah. The other thing is too, Jesus didn't even write anything down. Right. So how did the religion that came in his name become so um, obsessed with the, the, yeah. the need for certainty yeah. and, and beliefs and, and, and yeah. correct theology when this guy yeah. didn't even write one word down? Yeah. 
So and he could have. I mean, you know. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Actually, uh, the only thing we have that he wrote down is from a story where he went. He got on his knees and he wrote on the on the on the uh, ground. Yeah. When yeah. the uh, the woman was caught in adultery, and he right. was telling and he was telling people, "Hey, no condemnation here." Right. Uh, unless you're perfect, why are we pointing yeah. the finger at her? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, that's all true. And again, like each of these questions, we could go. We could have a whole you know <laughs> seminar series on. Uh, I think the one that my answer to that now uh, is that Jesus was never, he never intended to be worshiped. He didn't intend to start a church. He specifically said, do not worship me, worship who sent me. And we venerate Jesus as some sort of like superhero. And, you know, I don't know how the whole son of God DNA, you know, a lot of the story of the, of the virgin birth and everything has kind of been ripped off from indigenous teaching so maybe maybe it happened it doesn't matter to me because the teaching of love is the teaching of love yeah. but i think there's a second one too that they're missing that a lot of people are missing is that jesus was here to teach consciousness yes. which, which was consciousness is reality not this thing we think we're operating in and and so if you, you go back and you read what is allegedly he said you'll see like holy shit this is about an awakening of the mind in order to operate from a place of the soul yes. where there is no, where it's genderless, it's, 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 there's no hierarchy. There's no, there's no systems and structures, which is why I think for the first, what, 400 years after his death, that the Christianity was this kind of loose association of mystics. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until they did what the right wing evangelicals did about 40 years ago as they, be, they became, they, be, they went into uh, cahoots with the government. <laughs> That's yeah. what happened in the church, you know? And anyway, so I think about like what that frees people from to not to be like, just re relearn. I mean, here's another one too. It's a, it's a small, but huge thing. Jesus was probably not a carpenter. Mm -hmm. He was probably a stonemason because mm -hmm. if he was a carpenter, he would have used carpenter metaphors, but he didn't, mm -hmm. but he used a lot of stonemasonry. Also the word in Aramaic is very similar. So but you think about that from a historical perspective of someone that works to build stone and, and the labor of that. And, and that it, it reminds me of what Marcus Aurelius said, you must build your life brick by brick, mm. you know, that, that, that there's a, there's a application of will to work, not will to achieve, but will to do the work you're sent here to do. That is the chop wood, carry water to use a Zen phrase of being a human being is you got to do the work. Yes. And a lot of that is the deconstruction, but a lot of it then is going out and actually having the life that you were intended to have. Yes. Uh, everything that you said brought to mind a quote that I read a long time ago. I don't remember from who was a theologian and I learned it in a, in a classroom setting actually, but something along the lines of this, Jesus preached the kingdom of God and Christians preached about jesus yes and you if there's a subtle difference there like jesus jesus's message was about the kingdom of god it was a theocentric message but after jesus's death his followers made it a christocentric message yes you know it, it, it does seem to me like jesus was just saying not so much look at me but look through me 
That's right. Or look, yeah, look the way I look. Like right. the, the, yes. the real mind of yes. Christ. Yeah, you know, look the way I look because you can. He said that. It's all available to us. Maybe not necessarily the you know miracles of turning water into wine and all that. I mean, I think a lot of that was just good marketing. It's like, you know, he didn't have a PR firm, so he had to do like epic stuff in order to get people's attention. Mm -hmm. um, and think about the radical idea that he wasn't a savior. You know, that was ascribed to him later. He never claimed to be a savior. That was ascribed to him later. Um, you know, and, and that's why I say most Christians are really not following Jesus. They're following either Paul, Paul's edited writings by someone else. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the Paul that didn't like women and, you know, worship structure. Um, and or they're following Augustine, um, you know, the, I mean, that's really who they're following from a teaching standpoint. But yep. that's that. So yep. last question, and this is kind of a heavy one, but um, because of our backgrounds and stuff and what you do for work and kind of in my case, what I do, what I do as well, especially around mentoring is, do you think that religious abuse or spiritual abuse is real? Do you think it's a real thing? And if so, um, what do you, what's your take about it? Yeah, this isn't something I've reflected on much, but it is something I have actually experienced and it is, uh, something that I have heard about a lot. And I, I, uh, I understand that people do experience, um, abuse in spiritual and religious contexts. And a lot of that comes from this notion of authority. And a lot of times in religious and spiritual circles, people abdicate their own inner authority and they give that to someone else. And when somebody who um, claims to speak for God or represent God or represent some higher dimension of consciousness, whatever, um, when somebody with that kind of authority says things and does things, it holds a certain kind of weight for people. And so a lot of my journey, I actually, this will be a conversation for another time, but for about a year, I was a part of a cult with a guy who was um, spiritually abusive. And I didn't necessarily experience the fullness of that, but the people around me did a lot. And I was able to leave before anything kind of affected me like it did them. Uh, it's been interesting to me to reflect on all that. But a big part of that was he was the prophet. He was the authority figure. What he says goes. We need to ask him for permission before we made any big life decisions. Um, I mean, we would be chastised and disciplined. And that was a part of us being faithful and obedient and submissive. So this kind of language, I mean, this was <laughs> maybe 2014 or something that this was... I was a part of this. So um, a lot of my journey has been about reclaiming my own inner authority, not having to look outside of myself for assurance and um, to come to know for myself what is real and what is not, what is true and what is not, who I am and who I am not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I go back to what I said earlier about trauma as a baseline and that it's um, violence rejection or abandonment. And that's why I think religious abuse or spiritual abuse is a real thing because there is violence, beatings, you know, um, there's the, the, especially I'm 51, my generation and the older generations of fundamentalists, you know, violence at home 
mm. was sort of expected. Wow. Um, I remember as a kid going, this doesn't seem like what Jesus taught. Mm -hmm. You know, um, experiencing violence at home myself for years, wow. you know, complex PTSD level violence. Wow. Um, abandonment for sure. Because if you are told, if you leave church, if you don't follow this church, you're going to hell and you're going to have a terrible life and it's your fault. I experienced that. And then rejection is you, something's wrong with you. This again, fundamentalism at its, at its most nefarious doctrine is that you are fundamentally flawed and you need the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which is not true. You are fundamentally a prince or a, or a queen or a king. You're not fundamentally some damaged creature that needs redemption. Have, have you and ever? So, so to me, that's rejection. You, you are you, fundamentalism rejects the personhood of someone else, especially if you're a woman, a person of color, LGBTQT. I mean, you can go down if you're a if you're a straight white male, even they'll reject you for having you know masculine tendencies mm -hmm. because you're not being you know the, because of the purity culture. Yep. Um, and I think that's all abuse. It all has to mess. It will mess with the neuroplasticity because that's what it, in order for it to be classified as trauma, it has to change the neuroplasticity of your brain. Mm -hmm. Violence and um, and and abandonment and rejection all do that. Wow. I was going to ask, have you ever seen um, this documentary with Leah Remini on Scientology? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. I was watching that for a little while. And she also had some episodes where she was talking with people who left the Jehovah Witness religion. Now, so you have Scientology yeah. and Jehovah's Witness, right? I come from evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Those are the cults, right? Those are the, the not us. Yeah. But as I'm watching the show and I'm listening to these people's story, I'm like, no, no, no. There are way too many parallels here. Yes. Way too many parallels. Yes. And this is, and you're talking about just probably your, your local neighborhood mega church where a lot of the same dynamics are at yeah. play. Yes. I yeah. mean, I've been a part of communities where to leave is to be shunned. Yes. To think differently. Yeah. To, to be, be different. different yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I've everything that you said, I've experienced in my own way. And I'm, I'm grateful that because of my story, the spiritual community that I lead Heartway has become a hub for people who are healing from religious trauma. It's actually mm -hmm. what I did my doctoral work on. Oh, really? Yeah. Spiritual community after religious trauma. Yeah. What, and the approach that we take in helping reintegrate people back into spiritual community, which can be so scary when you've been so burned. That's and right. something, something that I love about uh, Heartway, and it just kind of just flows from who I am as a human being, but a lot of my closest friends right now are people who were once a part of our community who aren't anymore for whatever own personal reasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're not at our community but we're always hanging out. We're always talking and they'll come visit every once in a while. Right. And I love that because it's normal. Yeah. It's like the joke, the uh, a Christian, a Muslim and a, a Jewish person walk into a bar and they have a nice conversation because none of them are assholes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, I think Danny, I think that ideology, anyone that organizes their life around ideology is in a cult. 
You pick somebody, you know, you could pick people on the far left, the yeah. far right, yeah. you know, of that and their views. And they, you know, they venerate the far left would have venerate like a Bernie Sanders, which yeah. I would say never trust a millionaire socialist or a millionaire preacher um, because yeah. of the, what they did to get there. Right. And the far right is the kings of, I mean, they, 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 they elected the golden calf, you know, like, um, and sold their soul to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's why I say ideology is the lowest form of consciousness. Like it's barely above like cockroaches and squirrels, you know, like, and, and, and so to, it goes back to kind of circling back to what you said about beliefs is if you adhere to a set of beliefs that make you rigid and suspicious and comparative and exclusive, you're in a cult. It may be a poorly run cult mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe it's not poorly run. And they're, you know, they're, you know, the, the leaders, I remember Adam Carolla, the talk show guy said, the reason cults exist is because it's for men to make money, have make a lot of money and have sex with whoever they want. <laughs> There's some truth That's to that. All right. That sounds like all right. <laughs> yeah. Me, anyway, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, final thought. Yeah, go ahead and close. I was just going to say that the beautiful thing about love to me is that because you're not attached to any particular ideology, you can meet anybody in their particular ideology. Right. And and when you can meet somebody there, you can understand where they're coming from. You can um, take what is good and beautiful from what they're saying and acknowledge that and just being able to show people that kind of understanding allows a connection to happen that then gives you the ability to not even intentionally but just naturally influence them to open up Mm -hmm. and and that's something that you can only do when you're not attached to the ideology yes That's, that's the power of love that's a great place to stop and well, I appreciate you having me on. This is fun. Thank you, man.